time it is you are listening news. I'm Niall, your surly-faced serious reporter. I am clean-shaven with an expensive suit and tie, which I appear to have forgotten to wear. That party last night really must have been rolling. Our top stories today. Short video site TikTok censors clip from Free Speech Podcast. Those absolute turds! Free Speech Podcast reaches five patrons on Patreon, meaning that the show will be on Wednesday instead of Saturday, for patrons only. Join us at patreon.com forward slash the free speech podcast to become an exclusive club member. Also, something about coronavirus, endless wars, global poverty and climate change, but who cares about that? I mean, what am I, a reporter or something? Now I'm going to quickly do a line of coke when the camera pans away and hope my sniffly nose doesn't sound too apparent when we return for the sport. For now, Christina, for the weather. How's it going, Christina? Uh, fine. Are you uh, up to much this weekend? Uh, well, we're planning to do a deep clean of our apartment after this show is well and done. And that's what we're up to this weekend. As usual, though, I will have to watch the news because I'm sure I've, I don't know if I've mentioned before, but I trained as a journalist and the news is sort of in my blood. And it's also terrible. And it's also everywhere. So we, we had to talk about it at some time. So, you know, you're going to get it. But I was talking to a, a friend yesterday and... We were wondering about the most memorable news story that you've ever seen. Just one that is stuck in your head for ages. Because 99.9999% of them, you will look at it and be like, oh, okay. And then it will have like departed from your brain nanoseconds later. Do you have one of those stories? Uh, I think it was uh, airplane pilot startled by flying shark. Oh, care to elaborate? <laughs> Well, it was a, a, a shark balloon or <laughs> of some kind that managed to be swept up by the wind to very impressive heights. <laughs> and it started a, an airplane. I, could you actually imagine he's just kind of walking along like, I'm Captain Jones, I am very calm and everything is... Is that a shark? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, co-pilot, pinch me! Yep. I, I wish I could have been there. Interestingly, I actually uh, know a little bit about flying and I trained as a pilot. The last thing you want to do is see something weird up there. Like a flying shark. That's probably weirder than a UFO, I think. Flying saucer would be less weird than a flying shark. But it's not what it is, really. It's like, you don't want to be distracted by anything. And if there's something that's like, look, it's a shark, look. And all of a sudden you like drive straight into your mountain. Yep. I think that's why they also, the pilots don't want to talk about UFOs. They don't want to be like slapped on the wrist for like, why weren't you flying the plane? (laughs) 
My one's a bit more grim, and I think it's a bit more typical. You were probably just a little bit young to remember it, but I remember the uh, the news story about the 9-11 attacks. Oh, I remember it, but very, very vaguely. I was about, I'd say about eight, seven or eight years old, and we were. I was in my middle brother's room, and we lived in this, like, really small house that we sometimes called the dollhouse, and... We were watching like a 90s style television, you know, when TVs were fat and they're jutted out about six feet from the screens. I know well enough. I had one of those for a really long time. Yeah, somehow this thing was actually suspended above the ground on like a shelf and I have no idea how I didn't bring the wall down. But the thing was up there and it was like only like a nine inch screen. It was really diminutive postage stamp style TV for being so huge. And I would walk in as a child and literally the thing I saw was this like the the tower one of them with the you know a bit with the big smoke plume coming out of it yeah and i remember how bemused and baffled the reporters were like they were properly like so something is uh is, is that a plane in the, the tower and it, it was the opposite of what you would call your your well you know scripted slick news report there really was like an essence of what the hell? Yeah, you remember more than I. I just remember that it happened. I have like a, a snippet of one second memory that was like my grandma was like, oh my God, they just crashed airplanes into the tower. I was too young to really understand what was going on. But I, I understood that it was a big deal. <laughs> I remember, I don't know, I was a child. I remember making some silly joke and everyone was like, no, that's bad. And I was like, what? I'm seven. I don't know any freaking better. Get over it. Uh, and most people though they say they remember things like uh when michael jackson died they remember the news report from that i don't at all and or they remember when princess diana died or those sort of things and i'm like that's not how my brain works in the slightest i don't remember any of that because probably i don't care yeah, I remember Michael Jackson because it was such a big deal. It was just like everywhere. Weirdly, the only celebrity death that I actually remember the news report was, uh, I can't even remember her name now, but she was the one that sang, I'm gonna go to rehab. <laughs> no idea. Uh, God, I'm blanking on it. My brain is just like deposited out of my brain. And I remember it because... Uh, my ex at the time was working in an ice cream van and like she really liked this singer and like when it happened she dropped the ice cream oh so that's why i remember it i don't know remind me in the comments what, what singer wrote re rehab she was known for her drug abuse if you if it wasn't <laughs> in Paris. wait is that winehouse amy winehouse that's it yeah Amy Winehouse, indeed. But yeah, all the ones that people say they remember, I never remember. But 9-11 is really the only one that I do really recall strongly as a news report. Um, what about the other interesting side of it? What about people recalling news reports that don't exist? Like people remember that Nelson Mandela died in prison and they remember it being on the news. And then they remember like the news reporting his funeral. Yeah, the the notorious Mandela effect. Yeah, that's like a, a strange false news memory. Yeah, some kind of collective false memory phenomena. It's so fascinating, just the role that the news plays in people's lives. Because 
We all have a memory of it and we all have something to do with it, but we all try to ignore it and most of us don't like it. Yeah. Seriously, there have been polling done in America which shows that the news media has a rock bottom approval rating. People think it's terrible. They really do. It's like a way in like only less than 20% of people like the goddamn news media. It is a horrendously unpopular institution. Now, um, it's interesting to have this conversation with you. I partially had it because uh, you're part of the problem. You avoid the news. Yeah, Explain yourself. I avoid the news because the news make me really, really sad and upset. And like I... I have my own problems. I can't, I don't have the mental energy or capacity to absorb other people's problems, which is what happens when I watch the news. I get really upset. But the news just, involves just, you. It affects you. It's like, for example, if you were watching the Swedish national mo- news, whatever is going on there will affect you because you live in Sweden. Yeah, but that kind of things I do watch when it will affect me. But but things that I can't do anything about, but it's just really, really tragic. It 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 affects me too much, right? Like I just I I'm not mentally able enough to really handle that. It yeah. When you watch the news, what is it is there something about the news itself you don't like and you just think that sucks? No, no, it's I'm, I just get sad about the state of the world because news are like 99.9% bad news. That's what gets reported. That's uh, true. Yes. Yeah, so However, I'm going to disabuse you of that notion because I've got an entire lineup here telling you why the news sucks. And we're going to start, as usual, by tapping the infinite well of your intuition. Christina, what from the gut is news? Uh, I mean, the the name is pretty much self-explanatory, but... Right, follow the logic, come on. Yeah, yeah, well, things that are happening that people want to tell others about, but, like, the issue here is that... How, how did you miss the obvious? I wanted you to say, it's new stuff. Literally new. Oh. You said in the name, news. Well, I, that was... That was that I pretty much said it but by saying that it's in the name. Come on, bro. <laughs> I just... Oh, anyway. <laughs> nitpicky. Well, yes. The news is new and indeed it does uh, talk about things that are happening at the current moment. Um, what, what, do you, how can you think that news is as a genre of writing or television? Do you think it's different from like documentary or history? Yeah. It is very different. Hi. Well, it's the style that they are conveying the information is mm-hmm. very, very different. And like news are supposed to be impartial, but of course, that, that, that they, they fail miserably at that. But uh, that's one thing. And it's supposed to be like, oh, we're just saying the facts. While documentaries, for example, usually go into more in depth about why or how. But news are just. This is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you're right. Um, but, it, but it's interesting because both all three of them are actually very similar. They both talk about real things that actually happened. And but the difference is the news does not examine things that happen as related to each other. It takes them all in isolation. 
while yeah. doc, like while history purposely tries to connect them all up. Yeah, isn't that what I said? Yeah, I know. I'm just confirming and reiterating. <laughs> it's, so it tends to be about the, uh, how do I put this? The present or very immediate past. By like immediate past, I mean this morning or last night. Yeah. So it's like as close to now as you could get it. While that, if it goes further away from that now, it becomes history as opposed to news. Do you agree? Yep. Let's pretend you're a reporter. I've given you a new job today and you have to figure it out. What the heck is a news story? How do you find them? How do you know something is a news story? Hmm. Well, I do wonder how reporters do that. Just a lot of contacts, <laughs> I imagine. Yeah, yeah. But you could have, I have a, you could have a lot of contacts, but, and they could tell you stuff. How do you know what they tell you? What part of it's news and what part of it isn't? Well, things that are happening currently. Yeah, but I mean, if you had the Prime Minister's phone number and he tells you he's having steak for dinner. Yeah, well, it's something something that the reporter finds worth telling. I mean, it's not always things that are worth hearing about. There are plenty of examples of news that's like... Women found a, a bean in her ketchup bottle. Like that, there are plenty of news like that. But yeah, so what I'm getting at is a concept called newsworthiness, mm. and it's like a series of hypothetical questions a reporter is meant to ask him or herself that help separate news from not news. And for example, things that are not news could be interesting. And your sources could tell you, but they wouldn't belong in a news report. So it's not often clear cut what is news and what isn't. Just because something could be interesting or useful does not mean it's news. So I'm going to take you through a few questions uh, that you might ask yourself if you're a reporter. First of all, have you got any guess what might be a a, a logical question to ask yourself? Uh... Does this affect people? Exactly. I knew you would get the right answer. It's... Is this story relevant? The press must decide what they're going to report as in that it has any relation to the lives of the people reading or watching it. Because why would you watch and read something that has nothing to do with your life, has no importance to you whatsoever, and is just utterly superfluous? Mm. So first thing of newsworthiness, is the story relevant? Do you agree? Yeah. Tell that to gossip news. In a weird way, though, technically, yeah, but what they're actually, their audience has a different idea of what is relevant. Well, they have the wrong idea, just. (laughs) But it wouldn't be newsworthy if you worked for a gossip magazine and you were like, started talking about the intricacies of uh, tax policy. That would not be newsworthy in that context. (laughs) Gossip magazines are weird because it feels like everyone who reads them reads them ironically. But they do read them, you know. It's... Guilty pleasures, Christina. Guilty pleasures. Yeah, sure. Right, next question they have to ask. Is the story important? Imagine you were out um, in your local area and there was a car crash, right? Mm. And you went and got your local newspaper and you were a reporter for your local newspaper and you had to decide... Shall I start the local newspaper with car crash happens on so-and-so street or um, man caught a fish in the lake? (laughs) 
What is more important? Both could be news because they both happened and they're both in your local area and they're both relevant. And they uh, they want to sell the paper with the headline if they are selling it. Yeah, if that's they are it. selling it, they are free ones as well. Yeah, they want to. But uh, the important thing is that the, the car crash story is more important than yeah, the course. guy going fishing story. So that's the th- second thing. So number one, is the story relevant to... Is it important? Now, number three, is this story interesting? Why would people want to read it? And we often see this problem with coronavirus reporting. Have you ever seen a more important topic than coronavirus? It's relevant to everyone. It's an immediate threat to your continued existence. Like, it could not be more important or more relevant. But a year and a half later... Is it interesting? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. (laughs) And you have this problem where like, even on like progressive or left-wing shows where people watch them and are very like, were, you know, concerned about listening to the right thing and useful things, they will turn off for the coronavirus updates because they're just sick of hearing it. It's no longer interesting. Yeah, I think also, I mean, it, we we have uh, like mental health professionals who have actually told people to stop listening to the news because it really affects people's mental health. Yeah, that's a different consideration though because uh, they of sensationalize course. stories like that, but that's part of their biases, which we'll cover later. But the point is that can affect newsworthiness where a reporter could not run an important or relative st- relevant story because they believe it will not be interesting. Mm. That does not mean it wasn't important to run or that you didn't goddamn need to know. So, you know what I mean? So newsworthiness can be self-contradictory sometimes. Okay, the final thing. Is a story useful? Can we get something out of it? Why do we need to know it? Precisely what benefit is there in, in knowing about it? For example, what benefit is there in knowing about coronavirus, do you think? Well, a lot of benefits. Knowing how to take care of yourselves and others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some of them are less obvious. Like, what's the benefit of knowing the the day by day activity in Parliament or in the government? You know, the benefit to that is it's to inform people to make better decisions when they're voting for their pop politicians. So there is some reason why stories are reported. Why do they report car accidents and things like that? So that you can avoid the area or you can be simply aware that there are people in your community who are grieving. Yeah. And things like that. So it has a social value of some description in reporting these stories. So that's the summary I have of newsworthiness. Is a story relevant? Is a story important? Is a story interesting? Is a story useful? You can actually go to any news report you see and see if they tick off those boxes. And you would be goddamn surprised how many news stories utterly screw that up. Yeah, I've seen plenty of examples for sure. You know, I, honestly, sometimes you look at reporters and think, geez, are you a reporter or a donkey? <laughs> yeah. They just don't seem to understand the concept of newsworthiness or, well, they probably understand it. Just their judgment and their taste are the pits. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking of, uh, like, <laughs> British news about the royal family. Don't get me started on that. We don't have a podcast long enough for that rant. <laughs> Alrighty, now we've got newsworthiness. Um, there is a sort of a, a dimension 
to newsworthiness. They could almost be a bias. Once you've considered all those four questions, there will be a final one. How unusual is the story? And say if you've got a really important story, say like a bus crashes or something in your local area and a lot of people die. It's a very important story and it should be the front page, right? Mm. What, what, what if there's a, a weirder but less important one like a man gets abducted by aliens in center of Stockholm? Mm. Something like that. Is well, that one... would be kind of important, I would say. Perhaps uh, put the aliens in quotation marks or claims to have been abducted by aliens. Something that's sensational. And the news reporter might actually prioritize the sensational thing over the more important thing. Yeah, because they, they, want, to, they want to sell their news. Mm-hmm. The old adage in journalism training is, a reporter... A reporter will not report when a dog bites a man, but definitely will when the man bites the dog. (laughs) Yeah, well. So that's why a certain bias can twist your analysis of newsworthiness and therefore make you make a poor decision as a journalist about what is newsworthy. Because a man biting a dog, weird, but is that more important than our busload of victims? Yeah. And you will absolutely see it on a daily basis. News reporters will put the weird above the important. It's not just regular, it's commonplace. Mm. Alrighty then, as a news lay person who only hears it in the background, can you give me a few examples of the most popular topics for news reports? Um, politics is a big one. Yep, yep. And uh, accidents. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, totally. Uh, and I would, I will say, like, gossip about important, uh, like, in quotation marks, marks, important people. Ah, you've let me down. You missed the most obvious one. Mm. Conflicts. Well, yeah. They course. love war. It absolutely makes them rigid. Yeah, it was so obvious that I didn't even see it. Exactly. And that's what I love about this topic, because the news is one of those institutions that gets so deep into society that it becomes part of the background. We don't see it because we're programmed not to. Yeah, there's a constant buzz about uh, wartime conflict somewhere in the background. Like, you're tuned out of it after a while. Mm. Uh, Like, uh, well... uh, desensitized or well you're supposed to be Uh, that's why i don't want watch news because i'm too easily affected by that but yeah if you're on social media you can't avoid the news whether you watch or listen to it or read it on the newspapers it's constantly popping up on your phone yeah exactly somebody compared it to like someone's like one foot away from you and like really close and is pelting you with eggs and by the time that you manage to wipe the egg out of your eyes he pelted you with another egg and like these eggs keep coming and you're like, stop throwing eggs. But yet, no, just keep, just keeps chucking these eggs in your face. Each one's a new story. Digest this, digest this, digest this, digest this. No, 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 no. And it's like rapid fire news appearing on your news feed. Mm. Yeah. You can't it's escape exactly the news. Like no, I can't. I really can't. Like my grandma sometimes gives 
talked about not watching the news, but I tried to explain to her like I, I don't I don't have to because relevant news do reach me anyway, whether I want it to or not. Like it is very hard to escape the news. I'm pretty sure that you get an unreasonable amount of important news from me. Uh, yeah, you are. Um, you you stand for a large chunk of that for sure. But <laughs> yeah, the, the thing about social media news, it's uh, the way it's generated depends on likes and clicks and stuff. It has no conception of newsworthiness at all. It doesn't ask itself any of those questions. And it's definitely going to report the man bites dog situations over the bus yeah, crash situations but any that's, day. That's like the two issues with news, isn't it? Like one, it's like the sensationalized. You want to sell. Whoops, sorry, you want to sell your news. And the other one is uh, when we have private media corporations that have their own agenda. But like, I'm glad trying, you brought that. They're trying to be sneaky about it, but uh, it's kind of obvious. That was a really timely suggestion there, because we need to talk about the news in capitalism. <laughs> Fox News. Let's talk about that. Look, considering your knowledge of capitalism, can you give me a guess what might be the role of the news in a capitalist society? Well, as I just said, on one hand was to sell it. The, mm-hmm. the, uh, the uh, economical perspective, like they yeah. want to... Get money on the news, and the most relevant news may not be the most um, lucrative ones. Um, I'm going to put a pin in that. We've got, that is news as a commodity. News as something you sell. The news is the product. Yeah. Kind of like instead of selling, I don't know, apples, you're selling news stories. In capitalism, the gathering and distribution of news operates as a commodity. The news is the product the organization is selling. The news product is composed of a type of supply chain, right? Yeah. So here's how it works. Journalist of some description finds news and produces slash writes it slash whatever's it to make it a TV program or a newspaper article. Yeah. Then... They put that on whatever medium. So the second thing is the medium, whether it's a newspaper or the TV or whatever. So journalist gets news. Journalist puts news on news media. Then the news media is distributed via cable or via the shop where you buy a newspaper or via the websites for news to the consumer. Make sense? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So like any other capitalist product, it has a supply chain. It has a method of production and distribution it's a commodity and uh is is that a good thing (laughs) no for sure not why is it not well because of the obvious (laughs) Uh, that is well the obvious is that uh, we don't value what's most important and most relevant but what what brings in the most money mm-hmm. it's a clear clear problem of value there like so the news newsworthiness can be affected by profit what yeah. they decide to write may not entirely be dependent on what is relevant what is important etc but what they think is going to bring in the viewers slash reading slash buyers yeah yeah and like it can be- become more nefarious like 
I mean, Fox News is such a good example of a news media outlet <laughs> that's so biased <laughs> and has a very clear political agenda. Like, uh, that, you know, if you have an audience that expects a certain kind of uh, message to come out of it, then you will either twist the news to suit the message or you will ignore whatever, you know, is mm-hmm. against it. The interesting thing also is, as capitalism, like, ramped up to the present day everything started like get really mass produced we make things in the quadrillions so we've got this weird concept of a news agency which has like slithered its way into the supply chain and like made a little nest in there Mm -hmm. have you ever like heard of reuters or the associated press i have they their weird job is they sell news stories to news outlets. Yeah. What the heck even is that? It's like a wholesaler. Yeah, it's strange. It's like, <laughs> imagine you're like a shop going to like buy crates of meat and vegetables to sell in your grocery shop. That's the news equivalent of that. It's totally bizarre. It's like, get, get your news stories, get your news stories. And it's like, what? That's such a strange idea. Yeah. And like, it's the Reuters and the Associated Press kind of like act as like the news version of Goldman Sachs. Their tentacles have managed to get in everywhere. And they're like the news gatekeepers. They literally seem to from on high declare this is or is not news because we the mighty agency saith. Mm. And yeah, I think that's a mass capitalism in news is it's just it's just gone bonkers and it's it's strange and it's 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 just not something you'd think that could be sold like that. But but it is. It is. Yeah, I would like to hear people defend this, and they probably will with really stupid arguments. And we'll have more stupid arguments in a moment when we return. In one yeah. moment. Thanks for listening to the Freeze Peach podcast. Check in every Saturday for a brand new episode. If you like the podcast, please leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really helps us in the rankings. If you're on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. Click the bell icon to receive full notifications when new episodes are released and, of course, like the video. Please consider sponsoring us on Patreon. Due to not being based in the USA, our channel is unfortunately not eligible for advertising revenue on the Anchor Network. A small monthly donation will help us cover our costs. Just visit patreon.com slash the free speech podcast. Your contribution is greatly appreciated. And remember to catch us on social media. We're on Twitter at The Two Peaches. On Facebook at facebook.com slash the frozen peaches. And on Instagram at instagram.com slash the freeze peach podcast. And back to the show. Breaking news. Something of importance has happened to someone somewhere. That is all. Now, how does news get spread to people? Christina. By uh, news outlets. Yeah, but more basically, what are the ways in which news is got into your brain? (sighs) Well, it's everywhere. I don't know what you're after. (laughs) You watch it on TV, you read it in the papers, and you see it online. (gasps) That's the answer. 
the news media, literal the media. Media means medium, which is about transmitting something via something. Yeah, yeah, of course. So the news media is interesting because there's a whole philosophy about the medium is the message. Have you ever heard of it? Yep. Marshall McLuhan, I think his name was. And the very way you ingest something affects how it will be ingested. Mm. Let's, uh, we can do a little bit of a very basic analysis on that. Um, What's the major difference, would you say, in information transmitted between an online article or a newspaper article? I kind of consider them the same print and a TV version of the news. What's the difference? Uh, well, uh, with online articles and uh, newspaper articles, you have a headline that's supposed to catch your attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. On the TV, you don't have that. And uh, the TV is like, um, you know, we have the most relevant news or most relevant news according to the people that make the news um, first and then like, um, you know, like in order of relevance. And that that's kind of true with news physical newspapers as well. Like you have the important news in front and then less important news. Yeah, there's nothing in those two mediums making you read something. You well, can yeah. choose what to read. You can look at what even if it's on a newspaper, you can just like look at that. Not interested, look at the next one. Yeah, yeah. So the the, the TV like the, they they choose they choose it for you. I I bloody hate this, right? I have no interest in sport. At all. Yeah. In fact, like, if you tell me about football, my face will glaze over in a near, like, psychotic manner, and I will no longer resemble a human being. Same here. I can't stand it. And it's like, watch the news. News story, news story, news story. And now for the sport. Oh, I have to sit through 15 minutes of this crap to get to the next bit. <laughs> really? But, but, uh... uh uh, here we have the, it's structured like we have the actual news first, and then the sport news, the, the, the its own segment after the main news. Yeah, so you don't have it's... to worry too much about sports, like sipping into the the main news, unless it's something that's like you know, a Swedish guy won this very big thing, and everyone should hear about it for some reason. Yeah, if you want to get to the feature stories, you have to like sit through the the sport. Because sometimes, even if there's they've got a news, you know, they'll, they'll give you the news rundown. But if there's more detail to go into, they'll leave it for the feature section. And so, yep. like, if they want to bring on an interview, people and interview someone for a long form interview, like uh, interviewing the prime minister or something, they will do it in that feature section. And you have to sit through the the, the sports nonsense to get there. Mm. While if it's online. You don't even have to see the sports section at all. You could just yeah. like totally relegate it to the bin. And you mightn't understand this because you're not a driver. But as a driver, you do listen to the radio because there's nothing else you can do, right? Mm. And you're, you're you're just trying to deal with it. The radio sucks. The mainstream media sucks. You're annoyed enough already about having to listen to this. And then you have to listen to the stuff you don't care about. It's just, especially in the morning time. It just annoys you, something shocking. <laughs> it's just, it's a needle in your backside. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, <laughs> I have been in car rides enough times in my life to know what that's like. And there's, uh, I always found that listening to the radio news creates a 
very unnerving mood in the car. I don't know what it is, but it's... What? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That, like, uh, the hard time to explain it, but it really creates a very unnerving mood. Um, um, it's just like, uh, it makes me anxious. There, there's more of a, um, an answer I wanted here. Yes, those uh, you can choose what stories you want on print media and online media versus the broadcast media, but there is a more important difference. And that is broadcast media literally includes less information and it takes longer to communicate that information. While <laughs> reading is faster and yeah. you can take more in. So it's simply that reading an article, you will become more educated about the art, the actual subject of the article than if you listen to it on the radio or watch it on the news. That's that's the end of it. No, it depends on who wrote the article, but sure. Yeah, of course. But like, for example, whenever you're making a news segment on the radio or TV, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it's, um, you've got like 30 seconds. Not joking. A real incredibly brief period. Like, look, look at us on this podcast, right? We're just having a casual chit chat about very general ideas. And we're not even going that deep into the specifics. And we can talk for an hour. Mm. That's how long talking takes. Yeah. So they give you 30 seconds. You And they call it, it's a window, 30 second window. And you got to express that. While if you're an article writer, you ain't got none of that. Yeah, well, usually you still have to make the article short enough to, like, you yeah, know, reason, like, bite-sized. All righty. Yeah. So that's generally the uh, the news media for you. Um, And as we said, the, as Marshall McLuhan would let you know, the medium is the message. The differences in how information is transmitted changes the information in some way, as we've just given two examples of how they're different. Are we agreed? Yep. Alrighty, on to the next bit, which is infuriating because I think that very few journalists actually give two craps about this. News values. Hmm. What do you think is the most important value for the news? If if you were to create a news agency tomorrow, what's your, what's your core foundation? To be impartial and to tell to tell the facts as they are. Mm-hmm. Well. I would, I'm going to question impartiality later, but definitely I would agree with you. It has yeah, to be true. Yeah. Oh, some, yeah. I'm not going to talk about impartiality as a philosophy, but I think everyone can agree on what you're saying has to be freaking true. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, stating the facts, yeah. How do we communicate something as true? No, we're not talking about philosophical truth, not truth with a capital T, small t truth. How are we going to communicate that? How do you do that? How do we make a truth with a small t? I, I'm not sure I understand the question. So, for example, if I was telling you about a, an event, right, what would I need to tell you for you to understand? <laughs> really basic thinking here. Uh, uh, I'm still not quite sure what you're after here. It is you very have to basic. Be trustworthy is. That's mm. one thing. But Can't see the word for the trees. What we're looking for is, I have to tell you. Who did it? What happened? When did it happen? Where did it happen? Why yeah, did that, it happen? I and said how that did before with the facts. Like you, you have to just tell the facts as it is. That yes. just like I was trying yeah. to talk about. That's what makes up a fact. The five W's and a hitch. 
That yeah, is a no, fact. The fact the, that's just the definition of what a fact is. <laughs> so I need to tell you that, like, by basic requirement. Otherwise, it's not news at all. Yep. So it's like the bread and butter, five W's and a H. In fact, if see if you're going to interview someone, it doesn't matter how experienced you are. You're going to base your questions off those who, what, when, where, why, how. That's your mm. bread and butter and it never leaves you. Yeah, and, I thought that I already answered that question, but all right then. <laughs> fine then, just, just stick your claim to superiority. <laughs> it feels like, like, yeah, I will sound really arrogant here, but it feels like so many times when you ask me these questions, I go more in depth than you expect me to. And you have to like correct me in a weird way. <laughs> Well, that's why I have you as a co-host and not a robot. Now, another important thing about arranging a news story is not just that you got your five W's and a H. That's a given. What we need now is, as you mentioned before, we need to decide what order to put these news stories. Most important to the top, least important to the bottom. Do you agree? Yeah. How do we decide what's the most important story? If we've got a list of five stories... How do you make your mind up? What goes number one? Well, is that uh, ties in with the checklist you mentioned earlier? Uh-huh, exactly. Newsworthiness. What is the most newsworthy? Or perhaps um, if you're being a little bit of a biased journalist to uh, be a bit of a bad boy, what do you think your audience would most like to hear? So in some mm-hmm. way you're ordering them. but And that's why this is really interesting. I want you to keep it in your mind. That's a bias. The journalist chooses. There's no objective fact of what's the most important. So in many ways, it's a trick question. That's a choice by the editor. So you could vehemently disagree with an order. And see, I read The Guardian and the BBC. The Guardian is a liberal newspaper. It used to be more left-wing, but it's gone very centrist. And uh, the BBC is the, the BBC. And I disagree on the order of their stories, I'd say at least twice a week. Like, it's really common how much I'll have a problem with how they've ordered them. Do you, do you notice that? Mm. Um, a biggest example, as you briefly mentioned earlier, was all the headlines for ages were about Prince Philip. <laughs> Other things happen, bro. And it's like, I totally disagreed on a fundamental level with their choices there. That was wrong. I think that's propaganda. Yeah, but it has happened that I've stumbled upon uh, British news media online or whatever, and I, oh, there's always a headline that's like, this is what the Queen wore on Saturday. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. really mundane stuff about the royal family. I'm like, what the f***? Why is this? In the article itself, you have to make it a similar decision. You have to place the most important information at the top. So, for example... The idea is if someone reads one paragraph of your article, you want them to have had a summary of the entire article. You want like the most in everything. The five W's and a H are as close to the top as you can possibly finger them. So that even if someone's really lazy and only reads a few words, um, they will uh, they will get the gist. You agree? Yep. And that's another choice. What's the most important information? What's the mo- what? How to prioritize it? And see if you look at different news store news outlets reporting the same story, you will see them make different decisions in this regard. Yeah. 
all the time. So it's totally subjective. So whenever you hear a journalist saying, I'm selecting the most important thing, treat them with a bit of skepticism. Don't buy their nonsense. And remember, they're making a they're making a gut call. Now, news reporters tend to distinguish themselves from opinion writers and analysts by presenting all sides of the story. You buy that? No, not for one second. Why? Just, I mean, you don't have to be a genius to see that that's not the case. Bookbook's obvious problem with it is which sides of the story? How many sides are there? In reality, just like all the previous things, the journalist selects which sides are relevant. Yeah, I remember we actually, this was really way back in school when I was like 13 or whatever, but we watched, uh, and this was a very good example, that, that there had been some, some time, some place, I don't remember it, but there had been some kind of conflict between uh, a large protest and the police in Sweden. Um, I mean, not 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 like you know America level conflict, but um, still something. At some news outlets, you know, only show the police side. Some news only show the protester side. Mm-hmm. And we did this little thing where we watched, you know, both sides, and it was quite staggering how much the story changes depending on whose story you are telling. It's interesting. This is what they would call neutrality where they put themselves in the middle and they select both sides. And yes, they do select oftentimes leaving out important ones because of their biases. And and the point is to point out the concept of neutrality is totally bogus. It's assumed on this strange common sense that's not based on any sort of actual reality. It's whatever perceived common sense there is, whatever is considered the center opinion the standard or average opinion. And that's considered the middle of the aisle. And the sa- and the perspectives are selected around that. Yeah, I know. I have my problems with the, like, the term impartial. Can you truly ever be impartial? Even no, if you can't. It's trying. Push. Even if you're doing your absolute best, it's very difficult. Like, it, it's just, it kind of goes against uh, human nature in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the uh, criticism again against, you know, like, oh, they're supposed to be impartial, but they are not kind of missing the mark in a sense. We have this concept called the overt window, which is this idea of what is common sense and what isn't. What is an idea that's suitable for the public exposure and what's wacky, weird nonsense that's outside the norm. That's what objectivity and neutrality, etc., are based on. The Overton window. They're not mm. based on anything. They're just based on what is common sense versus what is considered outside common sense. It's entirely arbitrary and it changes over time. It's constantly in fluctuation, yeah. In fact, that's why you often hear people saying, we're going to like try and shift the Overton window, change the common sense. So the range of opinions the media feels comfortable featuring on the news changes. For example... Uh, common sense is such a uh, meaningless... It doesn't mean anything. Exactly. What does common sense mean? It doesn't mean anything. When I was being trained as a journalist, the way that the, the lecturer described this problem was, he simply said, when was the last time that whenever the, they brought up a news story, did they ask the opinion of your local communist party? <laughs> 
are they not a legitimate opinion? <laughs> they're real. They exist. And, but they don't do them because they're outside the Overton window. Yet whenever Donald Trump came to office, all of a sudden the, the news media was putting far right people every single day. But previously yeah. they were outside the Overton window. Yeah, that's happening here as well. Yeah. Like, oh, look at these actual proud Nazis marching on the streets. So that's neutrality and it's nonsense. There is no neutral. There's just no such thing as a neutral human being. The other twin value is objectivity. God, even scientists aren't objective. Yeah. You know, like, this is a bit of a, um, a side note, but also not really, but quite relevant. Uh, we have our, like, you know, national media in uh-huh. Sweden, the, the Swedish television, SVT, we call them. And they are supposed to, you know, be impartial and objective and all that. Um, but they're, they have often taken on a kind of a left-leaning, um, you know, <laughs> uh, way to frame things. Yeah. And a lot of people are, like, you know, mad about that. But, the, like, the funny thing about this is, and my, my partner pointed it out, the right-wingers are trying to defund this institution. So we have, you know, a political side is trying to defund <laughs> this, this media outlet, and then they are complaining that they aren't fully impartial. I mean, come on. That actually reminds me of something that's happened with the British equivalent, the BBC. In fact, the BBC is often held up as the model for all news agencies around the world. And it's... They're always accused of having a liberal bias, which they used to have more of a liberal bias, but now I think they've genuinely got a right-wing bias because the way the UK conservative government responded to what they perceived as unfavorable news reports for them um, was to put all of their own people in positions of power in the organization. Ooh, yeah, okay, yeah. And yeah, threaten them with cutting their budget. Like literally, it's like because they're 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 state funded. It's like if you don't if you stop making us look bad, we'll slice your budget in half. Yeah, yeah, I, that's the same thing here. I'm talking about state funded media outlets as well. Um, and that's like that's the thing when we have right wing politicians trying to cut the budget for no reason at all, really, except that they don't think that that the news should be free. Apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By like, the way, I also want to point out that an awful lot of these state media are accused of having a left bias. They're not. They're they would have been having a liberal bias. They were never left wing. Yeah, I know. That, I know. I know. I know. Of course, that's definitely the case here. Uh, definitely a liberal bias, not a. But like, I mean. It's more left-leaning because in Sweden, like, or most right-wing parties still are still liberals. So, like, uh, Sweden's uh, political scale is different. Yeah, your Overton window is further to the left. Yeah, or Overton window is very much further to the left. Like, uh, you, you know, um, um, the um, Democrats would be, I mean, they would be so far to the right that they would fall off the scale in Sweden. Um, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> I think we can firmly put the nail in the coffin of objectivity and neutrality as nonsense. What I think should happen is every single journalist should openly state their political beliefs and just say, this is my bias. And so the reader can look at it and see your perspective and make up their own mind. Like, yep. 
It's a simple fix, man. And if you're honest about it, you know what that lets people do? They trust you more. And they relate to you more. You cannot go wrong with honesty. But they do all the time because they prefer mm-hmm. to lie. They will pretend to be objective and neutral when everyone knows they aren't. There's a reason why the media is the most unpopular public institution. There is a reason why they're more unpopular than politicians. Yeah. And that's why. Because we all know they're not objective or neutral. There's not a person alive who honestly believes it. <sighs> yes, I am passionate <laughs> about the subject. I, I, I am yeah. a journalist. Uh <laughs> Anywho, now to finish off with uh, probably the point I wanted to make the entire time and the whole reason why we did this episode. News as propaganda. Yeah, there it comes. Let's talk about Fox News. This is why I wanted to do this episode. That's why we sat through 50 minutes of that just for this. Now, uh, ever heard of Herman and Chomsky? Mm. I think so, yeah. I doubt you'll have heard of Herman. He's just Chomsky's lackey, but you'll definitely have heard of Noam Chomsky. Chomsky is a polymath and like he has had his oar in every intellectual stream that you can put a finger on. Like he's everywhere, man. He was Mm. even in some of the most fundamental debates about linguistics and psychology that you learn about in every basic psychology course to this day. He's also the creator of uh, anarcho-syndicalism, an idea we terribly disagree with um but the thing with chosky is because he has had his oar in so many pawns that i agree with them a lot in some areas and i think he's off his rocker in others this is one of the areas that i'm going to agree with him in so all of the tr- the chomsky cultists which kind of remind me of sam harris cultists can just like chill <laughs> you know all the anarcho leftists who are like real serious chomsky lunatics who hate the government and blah, 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 blah. We're not criticizing that today. That's for another episode. So save your bloodlust. Now, they created the propaganda model, which identified five biases in the news media. I'm going to go through them and we're going to see if you agree. All right. Yep. Number one is ownership. News organizations are unlikely to report news unfavorable to their bosses. Yeah. Let's look at Fox News. Who owns them? A, a billionaire called Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch owns, I think it's like 60% of the press in Britain. And he owns Fox News in America. He owns, he's a press overlord. And he is a right-wing capitalist. And all of the worst right-wing news outlets are Murdoch things. They are definitely never going to report a left-wing story in their lives. Yeah, I mean, we have our the Bonnier family in Sweden, which owns uh, just a huge chunk of, of uh, media outlets, as well as, you know, book publishing and uh, newspaper, like a lot of things. Like, they have their own TV channels and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exactly Same. the idea. Media barons. Yeah. And they have political interests. They are, the media barons are not neutral and they're not objective. No, for sure not. So it's incredibly inappropriate that they are owning organizations that claim neutrality and objectivity. Yeah, so like, you know, yeah, it's it's always a bit funny when people complain about the state-funded media but then go on to watch these 
The reason they do so is because the state-funded media will present more points of view, while the, the privately owned media will only present the point of view that the, the, the person wants. I know. I so know, they I feel know. more I'm catered just, to. It's a testament to their stupidity, I suppose. Yeah, because capitalism ruins everything. Part two, advertising. They are mm-hmm. unlikely to report news unfavorable to their advertisers. Agree? Disagree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, why, why would they not do that? Well, because um, then they wouldn't get money. Exactly! <laughs> it's the money! Yeah. That's why they bring in their paychecks. They're not going to piss off the people that are going to pay them. They're just not going to do it. Yeah, of course not. Interesting thing here is, ever heard of Tucker Carlson? Uh, Yeah, I forgot who he was. But he is the most him. popular news personality on planet earth um he's on fox news fox news by the way is the most popular news outlet on planet earth so he is extremely worrying so he is the most popular show a most popular personality on the most popular network and for example he's on every single day now basically doing vaccine denial um (laughs) but yeah so all of his um advertisers pulled out when he started like going on to um white supremacist theories like the great replacement and being very trump supportery and things like that all the advertisers got uncomfortable with that and they actually pulled out a tucker carlson show usually this would be the end for for any new show if their advertisers pulled out but because they're a cable news network they get money from ratings you know people actually watching it on cable news and stuff they get money from viewers yeah so they actually were able to keep going because this guy was so goddamn popular that he actually almost defied this thing here where now he's above um, advertising bias. He doesn't need to care about what corporations who are going to advertise on his show think anymore, which is interesting because he can now lean into the fake populist right wing like Donald Trump does and like he can shout at Bill Gates and other rich people. Mm. While if they were worried about advertising, they would never shout at rich people. But he can pretend to be populist now, which is why he's so popular. It's because he's really jumped on this Trump-like, fake right-wing populist train, which allows him to be say, corporations are bad. But he would never have been able to say that if he was still relying on their advertising. So like this behavior only makes sense because he's managed to rise above that requirement. And so advertisers are not pulling him into bias. In a weird way... That's actually made him worse because um, advertisers tend to want to appeal to as many customers as possible. So they want the conversation to be nice and safe. Mm. Look at YouTube. They ban they ban you for anything that might upset advertisers. Like they, if you even use certain banned words, they'll not give you advertising revenue. That's how sensitive advertisers are. Yeah, just talking about the pandemic as you did before. Not that we have anything to worry about here, but yeah. All right. The next bias are the journalists' sources. They rely on access to sources to develop a cozy relationship with organizations such as the CIA, the police, politicians, etc., and are motivated not to be too hard on them for fear of losing that access. Mm. I'm sure you've heard of this where they were afraid of literally the cops or the government not giving them stories. Yeah. And so it's in their interest to keep sweet the people they're meant to be holding to account. Like, how absurd is that? They're meant to be asking these people hard questions. They're terrified of annoying them and then not being given interviews. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know. Additionally, things like the CIA abuse these relationships by dropping effectively fake stories. Like, for example, when you've heard recently Joe Biden is thinking of uh, pulling out of Afghanistan, the CIA don't want that. So they're dropping into news media like, oh, oh source from the CIA says Taliban or Al-Qaeda planning attack if U.S. leaves. <laughs> You know what I mean? So they're, they're biased because of their sources and their sources can manipulate this bias to abuse journalism. Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. The next one, flack, which is a type of organized complaints of news organizations to smear the news organization if it says things that people don't like. So you can imagine like right-wingers like launching campaigns saying, oh, this network is fake news. Everyone pressure them to be more right-wing. Yeah. And we see this all the time with, a, you know, Donald Trump did it. where, And they caused all of his supporters to complain and go on about how awful the news networks are. So to try and appease them, those news networks move to the right. That's just really absurd. But yeah, that's flack. These organized complaints and pressure pressure operations getting lots and lots of people to complain usually rich people can also like do uh smear campaigns on the news organization so effectively report nice things about us or we're going to sick the mob and we're going to sick our money on you and we're going to ruin your credibility and ruin your viewership or your readership and no one's going to give you business anymore yep the last bias is called anti-communism, although it's been rebranded as simply fear because communism no longer is a thing anymore. It's the artificial propping up of an enemy in a media narrative in order to get public support for opposing that enemy. Like uh, mm. after 9-11, it was Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden was the new anti-communism. Mm. Do you agree that there is a, a tendency in the media to frame a bad guy and then generate fear around the bad guy? Yeah, scapegoating, I'd say. Mm -hmm, exactly. And so those are the biases. Do you agree with Chomsky? Yeah, I think that's pretty, um, yeah. And Sounds that's good. the important thing about this episode. And what I want users to t or viewers or listeners to take away is that's why the media is biased. They are owned by capitalists, funded by advertisers, controlled by their sources, abused by flack, and tend to create artificial enemies to create a certain narrative that is opposed is opposed to what might be the truth. Are we all agreed and all happy and all satisfied? We are all agreed, but we are not happy and not satisfied. That'll do. So, thanks for watching so far. Please stick around for our last sentence where we abuse horrible things we find on the internet. I'll be back in a moment. Sit tight. <laughs> internet is a terrible place and it's filled with terrible people. Let us lend our ears to a tweet by J.D. Vance. Universal childcare is a massive subsidy to the lifestyle preferences of the affluent over the preferences of the middle and working class. 
he also tweeted, Universal daycare is a class war against normal people. Uh, Digest that one. I'm having trouble following the logic. Exactly. Basically, right, America is trying to, I think it's Joe Biden and his new bills, are trying to bring in universal childcare for people in America so people can go to work without having to, like, leave their young kids at home or foist them off on their grandparents. And they don't have that yet, all right? Yeah, sure. I know, yes, I know, as America, twisted right-wing insanity. And, but, and then this guy, J.D. Vance, this rich guy, is saying that it's class war against normal people and it's a massive subsidy to the lifestyle preferences of the affluent. I don't understand. <laughs> this is a strange argument that's been put across by any government uh, subsidies that aren't means tested. They say, for example, if you give free education for everyone, that means the rich will just send their their, their children there too. That's like, no, they won't. It's so weird. Do you not think that these rich people are not going to use the state-run universal care system? They're going to have their own private nannies. Yeah, of course. It's such a strange talking point that totally baffles the mind. It does. It does. I'm actually worried about the mental health of this person. Or like more like the intellectual capacity. Something must be wrong. You must be grasping for straws if that's the topic po- talking point you've gone for. You Some must really have re- reached the bottom of the barrel. Mental gymnastics. Really. On the same topic, right, and this is the kicker, a US senator called Marsha Blackburn did a tweet that made that one look sensible. Right. She asked, you know who else likes universal daycare, right? Yeah, something about communists. Yeah, then she puts an attachment to the tweet of a New York Times article that had a headline reading, daycare is the norm in Soviet Union. (laughs) what the f yeah it's like do you know who also liked universal daycare the communists it's like communists like universal daycare this is stupid on so many levels how idiotic were those tweets like uh very idiotic very i'm i'm really worried about the mental state of people who think like that i'm really deeply concerned let us uh in case our audience were unaware universal child care is good because it allows the children to be well taken care of while it allows the two parents to work they can go and earn money for their family and not have to worry about the well-being of their children. Their children at the same time can be educated. They can be places with other kids to play with, toys to play with. They're with healthcare specialists or childcare specialists who know about children and know about taking care of children. And it means that both sides live with significantly less worry. But if under private healthcare, those parents are losing a tremendous amount of money paying for these services. It is a great relief for already low-paid workers to have this service. It's like a lifeline that they can feel that their children are not being endangered or damaged or neglected while they have to go to work to pay the bills. Yeah. Can you can you tell me there's anything wrong with that? No, I can't because I have at least two brain cells, at least. <laughs> uh, but you know, if you don't want to be a communist... You best not send your kids to daycare. 
Oh my god. <sighs> On to a tweet by someone called Fox Meadows. Real talk. The most dangerously emotional people in the world are men so obsessed with being rational that they consistently mistake their own feelings for objective logic on the oh basis that believing in rationality makes their feelings guided by rationality and thus infallible. Yes. Yes. What? So much yes. Okay, go on. I am so deeply disturbed by this weird-ass culture of rational men on the internet that actually mistake emotions for rationality. It's absolutely absurd. So, let me get this straight. There's like a right, I suppose it's a right-wing-like tendency to go yeah. and like Ben Shapiro-style facts over feelings when really you're just coming across with a diatribe of subjective, totally emotional statements. Yeah, this is so common on the internet. It, it's it's so worrying. It's so worrying. And, and these are the men that try to like be all smug and like, oh, I have 130 IQ, uh, blah, 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 because I took this free cheap uh, internet test that told me that I have a... Off. I have confirmed high IQ. I did an official high IQ test. And you know what? I think that IQ is absolute There's There are so many issues with testing intelligence in the first place. If someone is, if someone is, you know, being all smug about their intelligence and being all, you know, you can be pretty sure that they are actually morons. <laughs> I think this sort of trend is concerning because it blurs the line between rationality in quotation marks and actual rationality. And the the public opinion starts to shift that rationality itself is by definition bad. And we need a more rational world, a genuinely more rational world, by yeah, us but desperately like- so. I don't even see that the people are st- trying to think that rationality is bad because that would be a stupid, irrational thing to say, honk, honk. Well, the um, point is it's becoming a negative buzzword. It's becoming a negative buzzword because these people don't understand what rationality actually is. They yeah, just but that's the problem. Don't. People will avoid things they have bad feelings towards. So if you come out like, I'm a rational person, all of a sudden people are going to think, oh, you're one of those right-wing scumbags. Yeah, and I think that uh, one of my issues uh, is people who who give themselves compliments. Saying I'm a rational person is worrying. Saying I'm doing my best to be rational and trying to be rational. That's another thing. Do these people, honestly, do they even know what rationality is? Do they know no, basic they logic? They don't. They, uh, they have uh, pro- proven it well enough that they have uh, absolutely no clue what it means at all. There's nothing so incredibly strange that when you read one of these people talking and they're like, I'm a facts over feelings guy. And then you immediately go down what they've written and you count out at least six logical fallacies. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's all emotional. Like it's 100% emotion and they, them at best they may, you know, link to a, a biased study or something, like from a really uh, not at all reliable source. Or even worse, a, a, a study that actually contradicts what they're saying and they haven't read it. Oh, yeah, that's that's a common one as well. <laughs> yeah. And they're just so epically stupid that you can't almost disprove them because they've decided they're right and they've decided you're wrong and there's nothing you can do to change that. 
you could go and thrash them in a debate. And at the end, they'd go around like a spring chicken celebrating a victory. Yep. And one thing that this brings up, and it, this is more generally applicable, right-leaning people tend to do what I call language abuse. They take a word they don't know what it means and fill it with their own meanings. And like, right, no, rationality, so. you don't get that word. You just, you don't know. No, no, I'm not, not in a chance. You're not taking the word rationality. You're not They're taking They're doing it. the same thing with communism. Everything they don't like is communism. And the point is, this is very serious because it it's a certain like Orwell would say, where they control language to limit the amount of ideas you can express. So if you take all the words that are like, about things that are good in your opinion and make them about bad things. You've limited your ability to talk about those good things. Mm. They've limited the scope of what ideas are possible to express. And that's why this is dangerous. It's not just annoying, it's dangerous. When rationality comes to mean the opposite of rationality, you have in fact forbidden discussion about rationality. Yeah, they are doing everyone a disservice, sure. That's an abomination and that needs to be resisted. Language abuse is important because for most people, their world is what they're able to say and what they're able to articulate. When you start messing with people's words, you start messing with their ability to think. Yeah, it is. It's also like, I'm, I'm also fascinated a bit by this psychological phenomena uh, where we have people who, you know, uh, shun emotion-based arguments, but they all their arguments are emotion-based. It's uh, like, what's the psychology behind this? That they don't, they are absolutely blind. They are, they don't, they have no self-insight whatsoever. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's peak stupidity. It's just, it's almost, it's so hard to imagine because... We tend to be people that question everything and we tend to think things through. We don't tend to just believe things that we're told. And yeah. to be so gullible, to be so willing to accept things on little to no evidence is such an alien idea. It's just we can't think of living like that. Yeah, but also I want to like say something because you're, you're kind of framing this like either you're a rational person or you're not. I think there's also a lot of value in admitting that you're not always being rational, but you're doing your best. You're trying. You're at least making an effort to. And, um... Well, the more, you know, e the more educated one person is, the more rational they will be. However, there's never going to be a point where you are infallible. You know, you're, you're going to make mistakes, for sure. Yeah, but I'm also trying to say, like, the, the way we talk about this will, will, uh, uh, you know, like... I want to sound welcoming, in a sense. Um, the thing make is, sense. whenever you're trying to say you're right and someone else is wrong, most people will interpret you as not being welcoming. Because we, have, we live in this world where we're told that everyone is right. Everyone has their own truth. And everyone's yeah, allowed to I'm, feel comfy about it. What I'm trying to say is, you're allowed to be wrong if you're willing to you know, accept that you were wrong and are, oh, are willing absolutely. to. absolutely. Yes, yeah. yes. And like, that's, that's the important thing here. Uh, it's a part of a rational person's mind is to admit when they've rationally been proven incorrect. Yeah. So like, if we create an environment where we say like, only people who are right are allowed to join us. Well, that's a tall order, but you have to be willing to try to be mm. right, you know, to actually, to commit yourself to be 
right? Even if you will make mistakes, because we are all human, regrettably. You I have know to be willing sucks. to learn. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, 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 I'm just saying this because a lot of times I, I have met people who are like, I don't know. I have actually met people who are intimidated by me. I know, believe it or not. <laughs> and, yeah, a lot of people interpret any sort of intelligence as a type of elitism. Uh, oh, yeah. And like, I'm not even making any claims to be intelligent. I'm just doing my best here, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm totally yeah. with you there. All right. I agree with that. Now, moving on. Now, this is an ongoing news story. And I've been following it for a while and it's not finished. So this might change as time goes on. And I am disgusted and infuriated about it in such a visceral deep way under the encouragement of the likes of billionaire bill gates countries like the united kingdom and germany are not wavering the intellectual property restrictions on the covid19 vaccine allowing poor countries to manufacture their own off-brand version this has created an effective vaccine apartheid situation which ultimately threatens the world as it allows COVID-19 to continue existing and mutating. As of the time of recording, Joe Biden has made verbal support to negotiate with the World Trade Organization, suggesting possible to support for wavering the intellectual property patent rights. However, Germany's Angela Merkel has, at the time of recording, said she will not allow it. And the way the World Trade Organization works is decisions have to be unanimous. There can be no disagreement whatsoever. Effectively, because of the profits of Pfizer and the like, they don't want them to lose any profits, they're not allowing poorer countries in the world to manufacture their own versions of this vaccine. In my opinion, that's criminal. That's scary. And there's, there's also this, this thing about vaccines have become a political tool uh, as of late. Um like i like the, there there's a lot of politics around the chinese and the russian vaccines and the, it's it's not really about the vaccine anymore it's, it's about you know politics mm-hmm. and um, like those countries i know everything facts. is political like people who who say like oh don't try to make everything political are absolute morals because everything is inherently political but you know at least try to be subtle about it but, i mean w- when we are clearly valuing like the the um you know, the public image of the country is more than the lives saved mm-hmm. and we have an issue. Well, what the problem here is, yes, China and Russia have used their vaccine to do vaccine diplomacy. We'll lend you some of ours in return for goodwill. But the real problem is here, the private companies demanding that these poor countries pay full price. And that as a result, as a direct result, we have things like India right now. Yeah, if they could have manufactured their own off-brand version that would not be happening. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, look, I'm not, and just to be clear, I'm not just talking about how Russia and China are talking about the, uh, how they are doing vaccine diplomacy, but other countries are talking about their vaccines. I did not expect, and I don't think anyone else expected, that Joe Biden would even make verbal support for, for wavering this. It was a big surprise, and I don't know if he'll actually do it, but I was disgusted to discover that Angela Merkel, the leader of Germany, the leader of the Christian Democratic Party of Germany, 
was saying, I will not let this go. And you would think the Germans would have a bit of sense when it comes to committing genocide. <laughs> you would think, wouldn't you? Yeah, that surprises me a lot coming from Germany. Um, disgusting. It's ap- There's no other way around it. Like, it's what, disgusting. What was, her, what was her motivation? What was the reasoning behind this? Money. Capitalism. It really, that's it. But she, she had the, to have, have, you know, made a lame excuse for something else. The, the companies that argue against these do two lame excuses at the moment where they're saying, well, the poor countries mightn't be good enough to actually make it properly. Okay. Uh, and I can't remember what the other one was. It's gone off the top of my head, but there's an equally, it's an equally vapid excuse. And we but, like... Like, um, I'm just wondering, isn't Pfizer an American produced vaccine? Yes, it's also got, uh, it's Pfizer, it's, but it's also got its German variety BioNTech. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, but, but aren't they the same, the same thing? What's the difference? Regardless, um, they're both in the EU and both in America and they're both in the World Trade Organization. They would all have to agree to uh, release the patents together. Yeah, I'm just wondering why, why America is in need of it. So, so far, um, well, because uh, America loves capitalism. They believe that, like, for example, giving away things for free is goddamn communism. <sighs> Now, I want to make this clear, that not doing this is genocide. In a just world, these, if these, pol- these policymakers who refuse to weave this patents, if they let all these people die, they deserve the death penalty. Mm. They're, crim- they're, they're the worst vicious genocide conductors. They're crimes against humanity. They should be pulled up like in like Nuremberg trials. All of those deaths would be entirely be preventable and it would all be their fault. They should receive the death penalty if they do not weave this policy. No ifs, ands, or buts. Not doing it is evil and unforgivable. And I don't think they'll do it. I think they'll let them die. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) we're talking about death penalty uh, when it comes to, you know, the COVID disaster. I'm really looking at a certain Swedish Anders Tegnell. But yeah, this is, this is evil. This really is. It's the pits. And look, this could, they could let it go. This is only oh, at the well, time of is, recording. This is not a, yeah, I was just uh, switching topics. Um, I know. We need to move on anyway yeah. to the next tweet. Uh, but yeah, so I really hope that changes. For the, for the love of the entire world, that needs to change. Otherwise, yeah. they do deserve, they deserve all the punishment the world can throw at these leaders. Without exception. Yeah. All right, I need to calm down after that. That genuinely infuriates me. Nah. Somebody called R.D. Heal tweeted, A billionaire family asking the public to collectively pay for their super yacht is quite literally socialism. It's socialism for the rich. Apparently, we can afford that. But we can't afford to end homelessness because that would be socialism for the poor. See the difference? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's America, isn't it? It's socialism for the rich, but uh, harsh, uh, real doggy dog world for the poor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Most people do not know because the news media, our friends here we're talking about today, did not ever report it like this to their shame and disgrace. They never once said that after the financial crisis, we bailed them out. We did corporate socialism. We gave them public money. 
our tax money. And I do say our because it wasn't just in America, it was Europe and all over the world. The public ended up bailing out these rich people and in return the public had to do austerity. Their public services were cut to pay for this socialist handout to these goddamn freeloading parasites. Just evil freeloading parasites. They, they, they caused, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really trying hard to keep my emotions in check here because that makes me so angry. It just reminded me of something just yesterday. You know, the horrible bank JP Morgan Chase? I, I think so. Uh, it's kind of like Goldman Sachs. He's one of those ones. One of their leaders, I think his name, I'm just recalling it off the top of my head. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Some, I think it's called Jamie Dimon. And he was saying that he was so annoyed by Joe Biden's like basically socialist bill he's bringing in to rebuild infrastructure. Remember <laughs> we talked about giving child, uh, minding the minding your free childcare a couple of segments back. Yeah. It was in that bill. that You know, it came with all sorts of aid and social programs to help after the pandemic, to help working people I mean, recover. And this guy, Jamie Dimon, was so annoyed, right, that he did a really rant. fitting that his name is Diamond. Not Diamond, Dimon, D-I-M-O-N. Oh, well, close it could enough. Be D, it might be D-I-M-A-N, one of those. Anyway, let me finish. Now, mm. he went on and he did a rant that he went, the government is so bad at things, I want an itemized receipt for every single mile of road or every single paycheck or every single thing built from the government and he demanded an itemized receipt for everything because he's a rich person and he can demand the government do anything he wants because the government is terrible. And funny enough, the did not ever seem to think he should give the public an itemized receipt whenever the public bailed his pathetic dying corpse of a company out. Uh, I want to hear the arguments again for why these people do not deserve the guillotine. This guy, oh my God. Imagine he yeah. demanded the, un the, the United States government give him an itemized receipt for every single penny of taxpayer money they use in this bill. And yeah. yet he took oh. all of that money from the taxpayers himself to do secret dodgy banking deals that screwed people over. Screw that guy. Screw him right in the ear. Can't, we can't say that on YouTube. I'll have to censor that. Uh, well, I'm sorry, but it's the truth. All right. Unfortunately, we have run out of time and my blood pressure has reached our level that is not advisable for my age or weight. Now, thank you so much for watching. If you like what we do here and you want to build up Christina's army of the undead to go and topple the capitalist elite, please consider... Giving $1, $2, $5, $10 to Patreon at www.patreon.com slash the free speech podcast. It really does help us pay our expenses and it feels good when it happens because, you know, we don't have a great viewership. We don't have a lot of people listening. So this sort of stuff, it really, it gives us a boost, makes us happy, gets us going. And we have five, uh, we've got five patrons now. So we will be making the, vi the video available on Wednesdays for patrons as opposed to Saturdays for everyone else. Thanks yeah, very much for sponsoring us. Big thanks to these five weirdos. Thank you. But for now, I'm Niall. This was Christina. This was the Free Speech Podcast. <laughs>